nothing tastes as good as a cup of Bahamian tea. Ah. The views and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entity or organizations. You are listening to the podcast, Tea and Talk, presented to inform, educate, inspire, and encourage meaningful conversations on Bahamian arts and culture. My name is Robert Bain, dancer, teacher, choreographer, and someone who believes in the preservation of all things Bahamian. I am sitting down with persons of like mind to discuss the Bahamian perspective on the arts and the Bahamian way. Now, let's welcome our guest. Hi, this is Robert Bain, and welcome back to Tea and Talk. Today, I would like to continue my discussion with Mr. Christopher E. Davis about his new book, The Black Rinse, and as he shares with us his research and knowledge of Bahamian and African history. Tell us about your, your, your namesake. Okay, so Nana Safahin... John Kwao II. That is it's quite complex, but to put it very simply, it is the tree language, right? Which belongs to all Akan people. Mm-hmm. So you can think of the Akan people as Caribbean, mm-hmm. and you can think of tree as all of the different forms of Creole languages that mm-hmm. manifest mm-hmm. within the Caribbean. Patois in Jamaica, Gulagichi in the Bahamas. For those that don't know, that's the name of our language. We do not speak broken English, right? Now, I we narrow it down even more. So we use the Ahanta dialect. So that would be like using Bahamian dialect mm-hmm. in the name, right? You understand? So whereas um, Jamaicans will say, oh, no, and we say, you know, mm-hmm. meaning it means you guys yeah, or y'all. You know what I mean, right? Jamaicans yeah. say, oh, no, we say, you know. Mm-hmm. Same thing, but we'll say it why... I-N-N-A, or however you spell it, and they'll probably say, you know, O-U-N-A, or or, or, or U-N-A, or or not, right? But it's the same place, they come from the same word, right? So that's how we got to it. It simply means John Canute II. Nano is a term of affection for a chief or a king, both men and women, or a queen, actually, I should say. So Queen Nani of Jamaica, the mother of Jamaica, that is a perversion of Nano. Okay. Her name was not Nani. I had it in my head. I wrote it in the book, I do believe, her, her actual name. But Queen Nani, they, they pretty much call her the Queen of Queens. Ah. <laughs> yeah, right. So Queen Nani, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Nana is, in, is that expression. And then Safahini means general. That means that uh, the proverbial minister of defense of whatever Akan group that you're dealing with. Um, so 300 years ago, Safahini uh, responsibility was essentially protecting people from subjugation, European colonization, and of course the transatlantic um, slave trade. Um, and then John Quau um, is the actual name of John Canoe. Right? So the Dutch called him January Connie, the Germans called him Johan Connie. The Fante people, very similar language but different dialect. Almost a completely different language. They call him Gian, G Y A N, Connie, K O N E. Um, but where he was from, in Princess Town, his name is John Kwao. John Kwao. 
John Guao. That's what they said. And the second. And so, uh, you know, I was bestowed this uh, incredible honor that ironically coincided uh, with all the stuff that was going on in England with the royal visit here and all of that stuff. Um, and essentially, I they brought the position and the throne of John Canubach, mm. and I am now John Canoe the second. My wife um, is Mrs. John Canoe the second, Sappho Hemmer, um, and she was actually awarded the first the Sappho Hemmer in the history of the Ahanta people. Bahamian woman, South Andes roots, Crooked Island roots. Mm -hmm. She was a Scavella before I made her a Davis. (laughs) 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 For anybody wondering, you know, if that's the people. Um, And then, of course, uh, Queen Mother Angelique, Mm -hmm. um, who was there almost as like a sister queen um, to me. And um, she is a Sappho Chariba. So she, um, in traditional African times, she would have been the woman who out there leading the troops and with the troops and all of this stuff, right? And the Ahanta people have always had this prophecy um, because they have had, and it's all laid out in the book, a long history that challenges the overall narrative of Africans and their participation and or culpability in their own genocide, Mm -hmm. the transatlantic slave trade. And the Ahanta people, led by people like John Kwau, John Canoe, unequivocally fought against the transatlantic slave trade. The British, the Dutch, the Portuguese, the Danish, and the Germans. Really? And they was winning battles. And for 25 years, John Canoe did that, kicking this Dutch. He, uh, <laughs> trust me, it goes deep. And there's even more research now that's just exploded in the last two weeks since I published the book. It's just ridiculous now. And this guy was absolutely incredible. And you could see why his name resonated so much. Now, the reason in the Bahamas, so we know, as we discussed, that other people celebrate John Canoe. And even if they don't celebrate it, this name, John Canoe, is like this mythical, you know, it's in everybody, the back of their mind. They're familiar with it in some way, shape, or form. People from New Orleans know of him. Mm-hmm. I've had some people in the museum from Cayman Islands, when I say John Canoe, they stand up straight and they say, oh, John, how you always do John? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, and they didn't make it. They said, so John Canoe is about John Canoe. I said, yeah. And they said, man, we have a John Canoe. Martinique. And they came in right. Martinique, all, all throughout the Caribbean, everybody mm-hmm. starting to know who this man was. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in the Bahamas, we celebrate him, of course, more than anybody. And that's because we have a special connection to him. So the first ship that ever came to the Bahamas directly from Africa with any significant number of enslaved people um, that we know of, I should say, was the Bahama Galley in 1721. So there are a few other ships that would have passed through, particularly during the age of piracy, because some of them were also slave traders and owned slaves and had them here as well. But in terms of under the British colonial system, that first ship that came was the Bahama Galley, right? Bahama Galley. Right, owned by Governor Fenny. Now, for those who are a little familiar with Bahamian history, Governor Fenny and his wife are the one that they credit with starting the straw market and blah, 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 all type of foolishness. They sponsored the slave trading voyage that brought the African women here that started the straw market industry. You really? understand? Right. And those women were also, many of them, Ahanta warriors, okay? Now, the first ship that came in 1721, this was the middle of John Canoe's prime, Right? 
he had just defeated the Dutch in a big battle and beheaded the Dutch governor, who they send there, and send the rest of them home, parking after kicking them out of Fort Oxum, if I'm not mistaken. One of the biggest forts in Ghana and most popular forts and most crucial uh, forts to the economy of Europe in Africa. This is the type of things he was doing. This is why he was known among the Dutch. You read the Dutch records about him. He was a cannibal, savage, killer, murderer, all these things. You read the German one about him, they tried, they take a paternalistic approach. Oh, he was so intelligent and civilized, and he loved us Germans so much. Come to find out, he was playing the Germans, and he was pitting all these European countries against each other, right? Um, I got in a fierce debate with somebody, and they was all up in my face, talking about how John Canoe was a slave trader, and why would African, the story can't be right, is why would Africans celebrate a known slave trader? It's like, well, he wasn't. And I was like, well, the fellow hovering record here, that when he went there, he had um, people inside the, the slave dungeon. And I was like, well, did he sell him any slaves? And he's like, no, but we have records of when people come there looking for slaves, they get their hair chopped off. <laughs> really? <laughs> right, for, for, for slave trading. We have record of that, though. We don't have no record of him actually slave trading. We have records of him controlling all the fresh water, all the gold. We have record of him charging Europeans six times more than he charged in Africans. We have record of him invading ships with African captives on it from his fort in Princess Town, which he took from the Germans and the Dutch. You know, so Whoa. yeah, you don't hear about these things. And now we understand why the story is swept under the rug. Now, even in Jamaica, uh, chapter four, I deal with. Many of the myths, how they came about. One thing that especially the British do, uh, they love to appropriate a culture after they have subjugated self-culture. Let's look at the United States for an example. Before they became the United States even, you know, even now today you have the Cherokee, Pontiac, car and all, everything that's American, they mm-hmm. slap these indigenous Americans' name on it mm-hmm. to claim mm-hmm. it to be American. Even the first act of major act of defiance in the American Revolution, when the former Brits wanted to identify themselves as non-British, they dressed up like indigenous Americans. You see? So this is what they do. So after the British did this stuff, they then appropriated John Canute and associated it with their masquerades and balls and, oh, we're having a John Canoe ball and all that. That time they talked about an African general who wasn't playing with them at all. You know, yeah, right. And I don't even want to get into how gruesome the man would have gotten with with certain and particular slave traders, you know. Um, There are even stories of his courtyard being decorated with the skulls of the European slave traders and generals he had defeated. Now, he was never enslaved and brought to the Bahamas, as we were told. Mm -hmm. Um, He was taken to Kumasi in refuge, and even from there he continued to try to send warriors to fight and push the Europeans out of his kingdom. But ever since that period, the hunter wouldn't rise again for like another hundred years. And then they came up under this great king called Bairu Bantu II, the Great Veil. And like John Canoe, they, he continued that policy. And so this is why even the Ahanta people are not well known. So according to their oral history, they numbered somewhere around 20 million people. And because of their decision to unequivocally fight European presence, the slave trade, and all of these things, to this day, they number officially less than 2 million people, though we think that number could be closer to 3 million, just based on the spread of the Ahanta diaspora, right? And now, 
the Bahamians now, who are we? From the Hanta perspective, we are the warriors who fought for that kingdom. Mm. Of that, probably was in 20 million, but definitely a few million probably, or maybe a few hundred thousand that was taken and slaughtered for, because of the decision they made to be freedom fighters. Very similar to Haiti, actually. Mm. <laughs> um, they were then, of course, spread out, dispersed, subjugated, and they see Bahamians and all practitioners of Chankanu as their warriors. Let me ask a question. Right. Um, how <coughs> how well... This information, mm-hmm. how well is it being received by the Bahamian public? About, I mean, how is it being re- received? Uh, I mean, you know, we, I think we, we have a tendency to, to want to leave things alone. We don't want yeah. to, to upset the apple cart or, or we don't want to walk in the ants uh, patch because we're going to get sting. Uh, how well are they they're receiving this information? Because this is a lot of information and this is exactly what I've been been talking about all these pieces of the puzzle that have been uh, uh, missing because, I mean, persons have written books on the Bahamas, but you know something? Uh, because we tend to be a little laid back when it comes to, mm-hmm. to, to putting out information on ourselves, people just take the opportunity to write stuff. And, and sometimes they write stuff, and because, again, we just laid back, we, we, we take it as... Face value, yeah. At face value. Well, I hate to say it, but unfortunately... Um, analyzing history is a skill. A lot of people don't realize that. They okay. think they could just see a few facts and find this birth certificate, and, you know, that's a part of it. But you have something called historical interpretation, which is actually a skill. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I'll use the most classic example. There's a man named, <laughs> hey, sorry to laugh, Daniel McKinnon. He was a pro-slavery advocate, mm-hmm. right? Daniel McKinnon, a pro-slavery advocate, came to the Bahamas it was talking about how happy the slaves in Crooked Island was and when they bring the slaves on the slave ship from Congo region and they put them in Vandu House, right downtown, slave trading, right downtown in the building. Mm-hmm. But this is not the focus of the majority of the historical narrative that we've been spooled fed. And then he's talking about how he's never seen so much decorum. Talking about people selling Africans as human beings. In the building that is now Pompey Museum, right there in Pompey Square. Jesus. We drive past it every day, and we wouldn't even pour a little piece of liquor for our ancestors around there. You get what they're saying? Right. So it it goes very, very, very deep, you know? And even within Pompey Museum, I'll I'll call it out. So there's a picture in Pompey Museum of a white man teaching an African how to read. And the caption is, um, many blacks obtained their freedom from benevolent planters <laughs> in the Bahamas who taught them how to... Re- exactly. I like, see you cringing right there. Right. And this is in the Museum of Emancipation in Pompeii, and then it's captioned the Yale Center of British Art. So first of all, why... We have how much... How many roads you think in the Bahamas right now? What, 30,000, let's say? The true number, 25, I don't know. I could be way off, but we know it's thousands of roles in the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. I mean, you tell me out of them thousands of roles, and they are descendants of which I am one as well. Mm-hmm. Blanche Roll um, from, from uh, Devil's Point, mm-hmm. Kid Island, and also Gracie Ann Roll from Roll Town. So I deep in there too. Okay. You mean to tell me in nobody could tell that story, Bear? Gotcha. <laughs> you understand, right? Tell us, yeah. tell, boy, tell us about the, 
the Maroons. Because oh, I, yeah. I mean, I yeah. always thought, I always thought that only Jamaica had Maroons, right? Oh, yeah. Because um, <laughs> I know that uh, many, many years ago, we, I think we learned. Well, I learned about the Maroons through two dance mm-hmm. and uh, through Professor Rex Nadelford, and of course, uh, uh, people using that expression, some right. of their their um, cultural. Uh, using some of their cultural idiosyncrasies to create um, art in terms of dance, creating work. Right. Like, you know, as a dancer, they have stuff uh, that they bring in from the mountain they call like the uh, uh, um, uh, Brookins uh, or, or, or some of these dances that they do that yeah. was inspired by the Maroon tribe. But right. uh, obviously, but we, we have had our own Maroons. They tell us about right. that. Yeah, so <laughs> first of all, Mar- Maroons are... It is a very complex word, but in the context of what we're speaking of, a maroon is tip, a person of, they were typically people of African descent and indigenous Americans who formed communities within colonial society outside of the fold of that colonial society. Right. Typically, they were runaway Africans, runaway enslaved Africans who ran away so in Jamaica, for example, you have the Blue Hill Mountains in the east. Then you have Nani Town, who I mentioned earlier, Queen mm-hmm. Nani. Mm-hmm. She was the queen of the Maroon. She is considered the mother of Jamaica. The predom- You Google Maroon and Google right now, you can see her face. She is the predominant Maroon leader. She never signed no treaty with them, and she beat them, and she won. Defeated the British, by the way. Wow. Yeah. Um, formed an African kingdom in eastern Jamaica. And those communities still exist to this state. Wow. Now, there's a lot of propaganda surrounding that, but I don't have time to get into that. Now, I can do that when I actually go to Jamaica. Okay. <laughs> right? but, um, but, yeah, I have some things to say for that, but that's for another time. Now, every Dr. Clark is the one that put me onto this. He made a bold statement in a lecture. said that every single society where they had slavery, they also had some form of maroon communities. And... I heard that maybe seven, eight years ago, and ever since then I've been on this. Now, the only identifiable incident of Maroonish that we had actually came from Gail Saunders and Michael Creighton. Okay. But it was a misnomer, a man that they named Jem Matthews. And to be honest, for some reason or another, (laughs) it was not focused on. Because for me, if I find any evidence of Maroon, I can put some things on the side and make that my priority in my research, you right. know? Right. Now, and I did do that when I discovered this Jem Matthews character. But I was trying to find it, trying to find it, and then I just never did. And then it just kind of went away. And then it was like, almost like he never existed because they didn't have anything to prove it. Then one day I stumbled across some documents. Jem Matthews died in jail before a trial. So now I know he was real. <laughs> really? Now, Jem Matthews' name was not Jem Matthews. His name was Jem Dean. He was born and owned by a man named John Dean in Blairwood Plantation. You know where Blairwood Plantation is? I've heard of that. Where Blairwood, you know where Blairwood Estates is? Yes. That's where Blairwood Plantation was. But put that on another side, right? So you see how close to home this is. Jam Dean, he ran away in about 1870, and he probably was 19, 20, 21. The most he could have been was about 23 years old became the predominant Maroon leader in the Bahamas from the 1780s, as a matter of fact, 
up until 1835, you have these sporadic incidences of they gathering up their militia in the West Indian Regiment to go into the Blue Hills area to look for Maroons. You see, this is so multifaceted. First of all, I'm sure you've heard about Blue Hills actually being Bailu Hills and being named. Uh, yes, but yeah. False. They had Blue Hills and then Isaac Bailu Plantation just happened to be in the area. But you see, we just love... Isaac Bailu. Right. We just love the colonizers so much for some reason. We've been conditioned to that. Social conditioning. We, right. We just have to attach it to them. You know, your name is Bain. They get Alexander Bain gravesite right there. He has often been portrayed as a hero, and in my opinion, he certainly was not. And that's including the, the mulatto son. Because all these men was big time slave owners, slave traders. You understand? Now, Baintown and Grandstown existed long before the Bains even came to the Bahamas. Right. And it was called Negro Town. Right? So you as a Bain, of course, is attached to slavery. But it also shows you where your, your name is so powerful because, yeah, this is Bain's town, but obviously with his association to it in the 1820s. And then after slavery ended, many of them would have been people, your kin, because he had name, you understand? Wow. So that's the way we have to start thinking about these things. You know, so, and Bain Town was not established by Charles and Alexander Bain and that family. Payne Town was established by us that existed minimum 60 years before that man was even born. Wow. Right. You know, Fox Hill, named after Samuel Fox. Who was Samuel Fox? Not a slave owner, a slave trader. Camper Town Plantation, Lyford Key Plantation, Tusculum Plantation. I could go on and on. And San Susi Plantation, you know, and I could go on and on. So it's no coincidence that areas of a certain demographic were once plantations. And it's no and you know, so that could go into a whole nother area because we do have the concept of generational property in the Bahamas. Right. And if you could prove your ancestors enslaved on a certain piece of land, what that mean? Right? That happens and that's very prevalent in, in Exuma. Oh yeah. We know this. Yeah. We, I can't, we can't, you know, I think you might be familiar with some of the situations going on yeah, in Exuma, I, right? I, yeah, Particularly yeah. with the rural lands yeah, and yes. the encroachment on rural lands by, you know, big corporations, you, yeah, know, right, you yeah. know? And so, so this is something that we need to know. Yeah, but listen, right. this, is, this, is, this is a lot. This don't need right. no two mm-hmm. parts. It need more than two parts. How's yeah. the tea? How's the tea, man? Oh, I loving it, man. I drink, I yeah. even like hot, hot tea and I drink it. You drink it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They so, got a taste to it. So now the fate of Jandy and I get too much because I want people <laughs> come mm-hmm. by the book to find yeah, the whole story. Right. But um, Jandy and he had developed this community, ironically, in the Blue Hills area. Right. The Maroon community in Jamaica, or one of, I should say, is the Blue Mountains, you know? Um, but because, of course, we've been conditioned to separate ourselves from the rest of Caribbean history and focus more on British and American history, mm-hmm. we don't see this connection with, 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 with this. Now, watch this now. Where do you think they celebrate John Canoe in Jamaica? Mm-hmm. Where is it concentrated? In the Maroon communities. Okay. Yeah, uh, where have uh, these maroons come from? Kano, where John Canoe come from? Kano, that's right. You know, not to cut you off, but uh, no uh, we 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 uh, 
one time ago, my musicians, my with the dance company, I'm responsible for the National Dance Company, and we had this lady in from Jamaica, Patsy Ricketts. Um, and Patsy Ricketts, uh, we talked about our Junkano, and she said, you know, we have a Junkano rhythm as well. And so she played this Junkano rhythm for us. Uh, um, well, she, she, she hummed, it, hummed it, and then my drummers picked it up. And, and we go like, wow, that's interesting. That's an interesting rhythm, right? But then I said, let me see if this actually works, works with our Junkano rhythm. Christopher, the rhythm just fit like a glove, man. It just right, fit in right. like a glove. Oh, yeah. You know? But, man, listen, it's, 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 um, this is, I am a little smarter than I, than like I say when I first started. Uh, there's so much to, to, to actually talk about. Um, um, boy, listen, um, anybody want to, to, to advertise on this uh, podcast can, can do so. You know, you can write me at tandtalk uh, 2023.bahamas at gmail.com. That's uh, T and talk 2023.bahamas at, at gmail.com. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I am, I am kind of, I, I, I feel like I need to go and do some research. You've put me in a, <laughs> in a, in a mood to, to, to have to go and check out some, some of these things, but um, time is kind of running down on us. And so, but one of the questions, man, I, I just hate to just, to just stop this right <laughs> well, now, we but can do, we can do a part two. With, uh, we can do a part, part two. Three, yeah. Yeah. Yes, we, we, yeah we're we going to do that. This is amazing. And I hope, uh, Persons understand uh, a little bit more. And like I said, I hope you're a little smarter than you was yesterday or a couple of minutes ago. Uh, because this, this young gentleman uh, have, have shared something that I didn't know. And I'm quite sure a lot of Bahamians out there did not know. And I think you need to, to, to go and purchase this book. Where could this book be found? Uh, the Pompey Museum, Fort Finn Castle, um, and Fort Charlotte right now. They will be available um, at other spots too, but we want to wait until till they officially will be available. But they will be available at other spots too. But right now, they are essentially available at all of the sites under the umbrella of the Antiquities Monuments Museum it's Corporation. It's amazing. Pompeii Museum specifically. Um, but you can also check out Sankofa Flamingo, okay. which is the logo you see on the book. Yeah. All social media platforms, you send us a matches, tell us you need a book. Particularly if you live here in the Bahamas, and we will find one. Is it on Amazon it yet? Not yet, and I don't plan on putting it on Amazon because oh. I, okay, I a little critical. I, my, I have other books coming out. And okay, I used to be a little critical of things like Amazon for reasons that connected. In the conclusion, I think, I think hopefully by the conclusion, people will understand why I do not want to put the book. Well, on Amazon. In, let me tell you something. I yeah. I have I am quite I am very proud of you for Thank producing you. this book. Um, I am just much very interesting interested in reading this book. I I I kind of uh, uh, tormented Angelique until I, <laughs> until I got this book in my hand because I was I was sent a message like Angelique, what is wrong with me? What is wrong? My hands are out, but there's nothing in it. And she, so she would send these little emojis. Uh, but she had mentioned it before. But before we we break, we're only taking a break. I'm giving you a break because we there's so, so much more that I I want to hear from uh, uh, from you about. Uh, the question I always ask at the end of my uh, podcast is um, to ask my guests 
What is Bahamian? Oh, well, I give two answers to that. I well, give the simple political answer. Bahamian are people who have a geopolitical loyalty to the Bahamas. Right. It's a choice. That's okay. political. Now, right now, I think it's a good time for me to get into something like this because we see that uh, those of us who are intolerant in this country, they have in this big rise, right? And um, unfortunately, we have adopted some of the sentiments of the same people in the United States. And so while I call them the blue-blooded Americans who think that, yeah, I call it the Akumarian-blooded Bahamian, right? Okay. And it ain't have nothing to do with your blood, right? So someone could come here from China four or five generations ago, they done had four or five generations here, but they are still ethnically Chinese. Mm-hmm. They get Chinese blood. Okay. But that don't mean that they love the Bahamas any less than you. It's a geopolitical statement. Once we understand that, you will not have these stupid levels of discrimination um, coming from left, right, and center, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that is what Bahamian is now. In the other sense now, Bahamian, of course, is our tangible and intangible heritage. Okay. Now, people often confuse heritage and culture. Culture is what we do. So things that are not a part of our heritage are a part of our culture. Right. One, just to give a good, exa- uh, good example, cars. Mm-hmm. We love cars in this country. Most people have a car, desire to have a car, and we don't have a culture of riding bicycles or catching or using public transport. Right. You know? And if you could afford a car, it's like you expect to buy a car and just use that car. Not saying it's a good or a bad thing, but... Then you might have some people like, oh, well, the cars ain't a part of Bahamian culture. Yes, it is, because Bahamians use them yeah. <laughs> every day. Yeah. Now, you could say it's not a part of Bahamian heritage. Now, what is Bahamian heritage? Bahamian heritage is African heritage. A hunter who uh-huh. give us Chankanu. Yoruba who give us Asu. Depending on the different theories, Mali or Congo who give us Gombe, mm-hmm. right? Um, Senegal, depending on your theory, or Cameroon, who give us Tum Tum? Mm-hmm. You want the Tum Tum drum? The uh, Hunter, Sorcy, you know, um, sucking your teeth, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, the word Golok, maybe Angola, you know, mm-hmm. might have come from Sierra Leone, but mm-hmm. this is what our culture actually is. When we say when mother sick, I believe that expression comes out of West Central Africa as well. Mm-hmm. So even though we say it in English, um, I've been studying this so hard. That's the one expression that's been killing can, me. Like, can I, I can't find yeah, it. Yeah, but yeah. I have a theory now. You can get it. I think I can find I just want to find it. Because I feel like I can just go someplace in Africa one day, and yeah. I can hear someone say yeah. something. Because yeah. I think I found out where itch come from. So we don't use it as much anymore. But I remember when I was growing up, mm-hmm. itch was this expression that we all shout at the same time, mm-hmm. at the crucial moment of impact. They used to say beast too. So you're watching, uh, probably a bad example, but say you're about to watch some conflict about to happen, and you see this fellow rearing up with his fist ball, mm-hmm. and everyone waiting, and when he hit him, and as soon as that punch hit his face, everyone would say, itch. Or they can say beast, yeah, right? Yeah. So beast, G comes from G B E S E from the Yoruba people, best, and it's just like an expression 
that almost mean like the same thing. We, we right? say a lot of things that <laughs> right. we're unaware of, but we even use right. French terms that we, we don't... Right, exactly. We, yeah, yeah, we, you know, I focus more on the African side I know, now, I know, right? Yeah. Now, and then I was in Kumasi, and we was on the This the worst show that I was ever on in my life. But we was rushing. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't go slow. Mm-hmm. And so we was like watching everyone in the car. And we going on these parts. And every time we get, we was anticipating mm-hmm. when we about to go in this part. Well, and you know the car about to drop. So everybody standing up for when this car about to hit. Mm-hmm. And thing. And it was happening for a while. And then I like listened. And I heard them saying, ish, every time. Like all the fellas. It's like every time going, Ish, I say, what you say? It's like, ish. I don't know, we say it's just a, say it's not really a word, it's just a noise we make. Yeah. Like yeah, when something sound. not really bad about to happen, right? Yes. So you'll be like, ish, or if someone gets sloppy, everyone will be like, ish, or. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was that widespread, but it was just among this particular group of people I was in from a specific place right outside of Kumasi. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, you know, we have an expression in the Bahamas. Itch. I mean, some people say the bad word. Yeah, it's devolved into that in some spaces, but originally it was itch. You know, now initially my theories what was it came from because in some African languages, an itch and a pain is almost like interchangeable. Okay, you know what I mean. So I thought it's like that, and then you also have where so even like our national or what's considered our national bell, collect collect. How does it get its name? The, the sound, sound of the cow, of the cow bell. bell. Yeah. So we have a word in the Bahamas we use, use WAP. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same thing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Christopher, man, this has been like amazing. I am just so uh, I'm so happy that you could come and join me today. Thank you. Um, uh, man, I, like I keep saying, I've, I'm just a little bit smarter than I was a couple of minutes ago, uh, an hour ago. So, you know, we this will be presented in, in, in two halves. Uh, uh, but, man, Christopher... Um, Continue the the good work. Keep uh, keep uh, keep bringing it to us because uh, we need to hear it. Um, and um, and so I like again. I, I invite you all to go and purchase Christopher's book. Uh, it's called The Black Rents, and uh, it's uh, it's the new perspective on history of the African diaspora in the Bahamas. So until the next time, the next podcast. Uh, Thank you for joining us, and uh, until next time, bye-bye. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you. You're listening to the podcast, Tea and Talk. You are listening to the podcast, Tea and Talk. The views and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entity or organizations.